Well, good morning. My name's Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you. I missed y'all last week, but I had a ton of fun uh, preaching in Clio, getting to know Pastor Joe's church, the Exchange Church there. Uh, just some pretty sweet, like-minded folks. Uh, so it's, it's good to see the church in multiple places, but you know, this is home, so I'm gl- glad to be back. Uh, we're going to continue talking about soul care uh, for this week and next week as we finish up, uh, finish up our little soul care mini-series in January. And the whole idea around soul care, I think, is connected to what we've seen a lot in the news recently, which is, it seems like man after man is being called out for sexual harassment or inappropriate sexual conduct. It just seems like this, you know, this onslaught. Uh, people, of course, some of them are Hollywood guys, um, but even some of the more conservative politicians and media personalities who typically are all about decrying you know, moral degeneracy or, or immorality or whatever, you know, it comes out that they're preying on underage girls or, or whatnot. Uh, well, what do we make of this? Or maybe closer to home, how, how, do you know any Christian couples who have been married and faithful church members for 25 years and raise kids and then get divorced as soon as they're empty nesters? And you know, what, what happens at that point? The reason why I think we see these huge incongruity, incongruities between people's beliefs or what people say they value and what actually tends to come out is this truth that I believe you can take to the bank. I didn't come up with it. It was told to me. The soul will always find a way out. You might intellectually believe in morality or conservative values or the sanctity of marriage or Intellectually, I would hope, at least a little bit, see women as valuable and equal as humans. But if there's something wrong in your soul, then weird stuff comes out. If there's something broken in your soul, no amount of mental wrangling or just sheer force of will can force our behavior to conform. Maybe you can hold your marriage together 5, 10, 7, 25 years, distract yourselves with kids and little league, but eventually, if the soul ain't right, it's going to find a way out. You can think of it like riding an elephant. There, I have a picture. The man on the elephant is much smaller than the, than the elephant. And he, but he can still control the elephant to some degree, I'm assuming. I hope so, for his sake. But if he doesn't get the elephant a drink of water, and the elephant gets thirstier and thirstier and thirstier, eventually, when they walk past a lake, the elephant's going to get a drink, no matter what the little man does. He's going to be pow- powerless to, to control. Even if it's a lake full of alligators, that is going to bite the trunk. It's not good for the elephant. If the elephant's thirsty, he's going to take a drink. Your soul is the elephant, and your will, your, your intellectual beliefs and convictions is the little man. And if your soul ain't healthy, eventually your soul elephant's going to take a drink. And it might be in a lake with alligators. I know some of us here are very dutiful, not super emotional, and so we can kind of brush off soul care as willy-nilly, touchy-feely stuff. But what I'm saying is you'll only be able to brush it off for so long. Eventually the soul will find a way out. Jesus says it like this in Mark 8.36, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Jesus is saying in all the flurry of life, the competing priorities, the temptation to keep up appearances, that there's just nothing more important than the health of your soul. No amount of fruitfulness, 
no amount of success in your career, no amount of success in ministry, no amount of financial security, no quality of life for your kids is more important than the health of your soul. Or to connect it to, you know, the, the, the shocking scandals that come out, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flow, flows from it. So if you indulge me, the connection between soul and heart is being kind of that, that, that inner part of us. Everything flows from that. It doesn't necessarily say guard your mind. Everything you do flows from that. Though sometimes that's true. The reality is, is that we live miles away from, from our souls, from our hearts. What's going on in there? And everything we do flows from that. So that's why we get surprised sometimes in ourselves or others. We don't know how our soul elephant is doing. That's a liability. We're just living on borrowed times. Things might be okay right now. We might be able to hold it together and keep up appearances. But we're putting burden on our bodies as we make up for our emotions with food, on our marriages, as things get colder and colder, on our relationships, as it seems like it, it's a, it, you get less, fewer and fewer friends the older you get, or on our kids, as we put pressures on them to be or do certain things. So today, we're talking about soul care according to limits. The main idea for today is that Jesus shows us that healthy souls embrace limits. This is a very un-American idea. Our modern culture, our industrial culture, it hates the idea of limits. We all, we're all about being limitless. There's that super average movie that came out with Bradley Cooper years ago called Limitless. And it's where he finds a drug that when he takes it, he, it blows the limits off his brain, where he can like be limitless in his human capacity and potential. So he's cracking the stock market and making tons of money and he is writing incredible novels in a week and uh, he can connect with everyone. He's completely limitless. But then it turns out that this drug kills you. Big shocker. You have to keep taking it or you'll die. And if you keep taking it, you will die. So when I was first watching this movie, I was like, yes! This is like a, a, a satire. It's a critique of our culture. Where all of us want to be Bradley Cooper popping that pill, but it, in the end, it leads to death. But if you've seen the movie, it has the worst ending ever. It's just out, out of nowhere, it shows the end, and Bradley Cooper figured out a way to do away with the side effect of death, and now he can be limitless all the time. And he's going to run for president. I hated that movie. <laughs> but I think it captures the heart of our culture. Oh, there's a drug that can make me superhuman. Side effect is death. But we can overcome that. So now we can live to our full capacity. Be free from the, the humility of having to live in the limits of God's design. Then we can be like God. Listen, y'all. That was the original temptation. In the, in the Garden of Eden, a limit was given. Don't eat of this tree. And the temptation given to Adam and Eve was, you can be like God. Don't listen to this limit. The world is broken. You and I are broken because fundamentally humans, we sinfully reject the limits that God has given us. We want to be like God and get everything done and be everything to everyone all the time and have it all. That's what the pursuit of happiness is, right? But as we'll see today, what Jesus shows us, to flourish as a human, to have a healthy soul, is to embrace limits. 
We're just marinating in Mark 1, kind of the last half of it this month, uh, which is a statement in and of itself. But there's a lot you can mine from Scripture by just soaking in it. Uh, it's great to read all kinds of Bible plans, but I'd encourage you to consider just doing a, a slow one and asking lots of questions and just marinating in it. Mark 1 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It moves really fast. It seems like every paragraph is immediately, immediately, immediately Jesus went and did something or, or, or went somewhere. The first thing that we'll see in Jesus is that he was busy. This is the first point that we're going to see as we dive into our sermon text. The reason this is our first point is because I can just kind of feel the protest starting to rise up. Like, you don't understand. I have to do this. I feel so bad if I don't. I'm the only one who can do this. If I don't do it, it won't get done. But what I want us to see is that Jesus and Jesus alone is busy. Our temptation as humans to get a God complex to try to be like God is limitless. So before we can look at ourselves, let's look at Jesus and let him set the tone. I've said it before, what if we were the church that was never busy? Whenever we were asked, how are you doing? We never said busy. What, what kind of statement would that make to our community? If we had margin to rest, if we, were always, if we always took our day off, what would the, the watching world, the stressed, frazzled, confused, distracted world see? What would that... What would that say about what it means to be a child of the sovereign God of the universe if we were never busy? We worked hard, but we rested within our limits. And what I'm saying is the reason this beautiful vision, a church of people who work hard and rest and live within the, the balance and the limits of God's designs for humans is possible because God is busy. God is busy, so we don't have to be. God is God, so we don't have to be God. And yet, even God did what? Took a day off. As he's speaking into existence, everything that exists, he models rest for us and took a day off. Jesus was God in the flesh who came to humanity and walked among us. And look, there was just never anyone more in demand than Jesus. There was never anyone who had more opportunities than Jesus. Good opportunities. Never could anyone legitimately say, I am the only one who can do this. But like God the Father, Jesus was never hurried. He was never late. He never forgot stuff. He never missed a detail. No human has been in demand like Jesus. On the one hand, he's holding the universe together. On the other hand, crowds were always coming to him, needing something. Heal me. Come to dinner with me. Answer my questions. Do this for me. Let's look at our sermon text. Mark 1, 32 through 30, 33. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Just try to put yourself in this scene. Jesus is trying to hang out with some close friends and the entire city comes with the most desperately needy and sick people. Imagine you, you have a child who can't walk. Imagine that you're blind and you can't earn a living for your family. Imagine that you've lived 
with chronic pain for decades. And you see the man who can make that go away. Imagine Jesus seeing desperate people come. Imagine the healing begin and more and more people coming for healing. Jesus was busy. He was in legitimate demand. You and I, we just get to participate for our own benefit and glory. There's no demand. Jesus had tons to do and tons of things that he could do. That brings me to my next point. Jesus' limits and priority. Multiple limits, one priority. Look in verses 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is just utterly mind-blowing to me. Jesus had limits. Selah. Just meditate on this week, on that this week. God, in the flesh, when he took on humanity, he embraced limits that go along with humanity. Of course, he did miracles too, but we see him here in this passage, in lots of passages, showing us what it means to live the human life within limits. Even God the one who sustains the existence of everything. Even the one who has the power to do anything and everything he wants, embrace limits. What limits did he embrace? Well, we just read that he rose early in the morning and went away by himself to a desolate place. Remember, the whole city, the most desperate people in town came to him. And he stopped healing and he went to the wilderness to pray, to be with God his Father. Jesus embraced the limits of priorities. Part of the reality of having limits is that means we have to prioritize some things and deprioritize others. If all of us had infinite time, money, and energy, then we, we could do everything. We, then we'd be like God. But we're not. But Jesus himself, as a human, shows us that we have to prioritize something. We have to say yes to one thing and implicitly say no to others. Limits means you, you have to pick a yes. You can say yes to a new TV. You can say yes to getting out of debt. You can say yes to marrying this person. You can say no to all the other persons. You can say yes to being a doctor, but no to being a ballerina. Because if nothing is a priority, or if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. If nothing is important, nothing is done well. How well could you be married to multiple people? Probably not very well. The Bible's full of people who tried it, ill-advised experiment, and it didn't really go that well. And in this passage that we just read, we see Jesus' yes and no. What did he prioritize? Let me read it again. Matthew 1, 3-5. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He prioritized the health of his soul, time and communion with God. Over what? What did he say no to? Serving people. Healing people. This wasn't him doing a Netflix fast to spend more time with God. He was walking away from a very, very legitimate good opportunity. Can you wrap your mind around that? Jesus. We see the absolute primacy of his own inner life, his own communion with God, his Father. There is nothing more important than the health of his soul. I want to read in rapid-fire succession a bunch of passages from the Gospel. 
that show this is not an isolated event in Jesus's life on earth during his ministry, but it was a core function of how he existed in the world. Just let these wash over you. Just feel the, the, the weight of them. Luke 5, 15 through 16. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14, 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. He then feeds the 5,000. Are these uh, passages in the PowerPoint? Oh, just the references? Okay. So then he feeds the 5,000 after he tries to get away, and right after, look what it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he, missed, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Luke six twelve. In these days, he went up to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. This one's crazy. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine through 41. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came out to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and, and knelt and prayed. In all these different scenarios, in all these different contexts, after he feeds 5,000, does this incredible miracle, he gets away. After preaching to huge crowds and, and having his hype spread, he gets away. When he's riding the wave of popularity and they want to make him king, he doesn't release a book and start a TV network. He gets away to the mountain. Before times of suffering, what does he do? He goes to the garden to be alone and pray. He didn't try to cram in a few more miracles and get a couple more sermons out before the guards came. No, he spent all night in prayer with his disciples. His disciples slept while Jesus was seeking communion with God. Looking back at some of the language in our sermon text, it says, rising very early in the morning. The original language here is even stronger than that. It means that it was night. He went to a desolate place. This is like wilderness. This isn't like a nature walk. This is like barren wilderness. It would have taken hours for his disciples to find him. And the word pray here shows that he's prioritizing his soul's health. This isn't the word used to talk about making requests to God that's used elsewhere in Scripture. It's legit to make requests of God, but it's not what the type of prayer Jesus is doing. It's an ongoing posture of, of being with God hearing from God, soaking in his presence, his communion, fellowship. That's what we're talking about when we say get away. He didn't skip out in the crowds just to get some downtime with TV. He did it to, to commune relationally with his heavenly Father. For Jesus, nothing was as important as his own communion with the Father. The busier he was, the more he prayed. The more people demanded of him, the more he got away. He said yes to prayer, to ordinarily means of resting in and enjoying God. And listen, this means that he often said no to the crowds of desperate, needy people. 
So what do we do? How do we respond? Well, that brings me to my third point. And I worded it very controversially to make a point in the hopes that you remember it. Be selfish like Jesus was selfish. Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. He was God. So I don't mean selfish in a sinful sense. But surely we have to consider that Jesus saying no to sick, desperate people as a way of saying yes to his own soul health is a little bit different than what we think of when we think of Jesus. The most common Jesus juke is, you know, we don't rest because Jesus didn't rest. But we see here that he did. And so many of us are just so dutiful. We are doing so many good things, involved in so many good things, while our our soul elephants are starving of thirst. They're they're thirsting for the presence of God, the, the only one who can satisfy our souls. For many of us, we, we might have grown up in churches or families where it wasn't okay to have needs or to be weak, to share your weaknesses or to ask for help or to ask for space. Many times getting rest just wasn't on the radar. It's like work and school, soccer practice at night, then tournaments all weekend, maybe squeak in church. Because that's our normal, to say no to someone or something feels like we're letting them down or missing an opportunity or someone else's kids is going to get the edge on ours. These are signs that our souls ain't right, that our soul elephant is really thirsty. And so we start saying yes to things or doing things to try to satisfy that thirst. But if it's not communion with God our Father, then it's not going to work. What I'm saying is be selfish in the sense that we model Jesus' own priority his, of his own soul, his own communion with God. So I have three things for you to consider. If you think about your week, if you think about this new year, be less awesome. Be less awesome. Moms, this might mean not getting everything done on Pinterest so that you, you can use the kids' nap time to be still. I know a mom who established a two-hour quiet period, even for older kids. They didn't have to sleep, but they had to be quiet in their beds for two hours. Sure, kids might fight or complain, but what's better for your kids? That you're everything all the time for them, super awesome, or that you have a healthy soul? Men, this might mean that you work less. Who cares about overtime or career advancement? People's opinion of you. If your soul is thirsty and getting less and less healthy... If Jesus could prioritize the health of his soul over healing desperately needy people and preaching and teaching the gospel, you and I can say no to overtime or whatever Pinterest is shaming us to be or do. Be less awesome. Perform worse. Let others down. Because none of that is more important than your own soul. Being less impressive and letting your relationship with your Father in heaven be the defining thing that satisfies your soul. When we say no, when we are less awesome, that causes us to look at what are we using to validate our existence, to validate our worth. Is it God's word spoken over us in Christ that we are his beloved and whom he's well pleased? Or is it what we do? 
First one, be less awesome. Second, ask for help. If this sounds impossible to you, moms, busy husbands, whoever, that means you need help. Might mean asking your husband to cover so you can get away. It might be making a healthy soul co-op with moms, taking turns watching the kids so others can get some time. Prioritizing soul health in the midst of all life's demands almost requires help. It requires community. It's going to send us deeper into life with each other, both to get alone and because we need the presence of Christ with, in, in each other. Community is important because we have limits, because we can't be self-sufficient, because we need each other. We're dependent on God, and we're dependent on community. Life together with our church family is part of that soul health because it's one of the ways that God has ordained for us to experience his presence and the gathered saints, his people with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Ask for help. How can we creatively serve each other and enable each other to, to have space to prioritize the health of our souls? The last one for the conclusion is say yes. It would be easy to word this, like say no to something this week. Look at your, you know, your list of activities and say no. But let's frame it the other way. Instead, say yes to an unhurried way of life. Say yes to having margin. Not being in a rush. Saying yes to having space to enjoy time with people without an agenda. Say yes to weeknights at home with your family. Say yes to have space for unexpected connections with our neighbors or our coworkers. Say yes to experiencing belonging in a church community. By saying yes to this stuff, we're going to have to say no to other things. Say no to Facebook and sports and Netflix and organizations you kind of got bullied into doing, and you, but they seem to drain your soul. But this isn't just about leaving something that's negative. This is about embracing the positive, embracing the good life with God. And remember, Jesus is blowing up our excuses. Oh, I'm too busy. Work is just too crazy right now. Oh, really? Remember, Jesus is the only one who can say he's busy. And because Jesus is busy, we don't have to be. Underneath all these things, be less awesome, ask for help, say yes, is a loud, strong call to trust the provision of Jesus. Trust Jesus. This might require a real fundamental shift for many of us. There's no way to prioritize the health of our soul without trusting Jesus more than we already do. Indeed, this is how our trust grows as we prioritize the health of our souls. Trust that He will keep the universe running. He will keep leading and building His church. Trust that you matter to Him and remain part of a mission even if you're less awesome. Even if you're not as impressive as your brother or that high school classmate that you enviously stalk on Facebook. And trust 
that when Jesus embraced the limits of being human, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He's taken away our shame and our guilt that would cause our souls to be thirsty and cause us to try to drink out of alligator lakes to, to satisfy them. He's taken away our shame and guilt and the brokenness that comes from rejecting the limits God's put on us. And he rose again so that we can experience healthy, satisfied souls and life with God as his children.